All right, you guys ready for the word? You hungry for God's word? Amen. Well, I am ready to preach it to you this morning. So we are in part two of our series, Christ Alone. And, and we are working our way through the book of Philippians. We covered the first two chapters in Philippians in our last series. And in this series, Christ Alone, we're specifically going through uh, chapter three. And really, it's only a three-part series uh, through chapter three. We, we looked at last week. We're going to look at today. And then next week, we'll finish chapter three. And then the week after that, we will begin chapter four. And we're going to go through four messages to finish chapter four. And that'll be the end, that'll be end of the book. And so, uh, and the title of the next series is going to be called Do, Do Not Be Anxious. Do Not Be Anxious. And so that's going to be coming up towards the end of October. So how, how many of you remember what we talked about last week? You, do, do you remember the theme? What, what was the emphasis? We talked about that our righteousness is not of our self, but we have a foreign righteousness. We, we who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ have been given the very righteousness of God if we're in Christ Jesus. And so that righteousness is not of works. And this is what the Apostle Paul uh, said as we were looking at the first uh, a few verses there in Philippians chapter 3. And he kind of he was addressing this false teaching of the Judaizers, which the Judaizers were a group of Jewish Christians who were trying to mix Judaism and Christianity and trying to tell Gentile Christians, specifically male Gentile Christians, that they needed to be circumcised, which was a Jewish rite uh, um, uh, for all males at, at, the, at, at eight days old to be circumcised. And they were saying that you need that same covenantal mark of Abraham to be in covenant with Christ. And so you, you, you need to be circumcised if you have not been. And so the apostle Paul comes and he says, no, that is not true. That the gospel of Jesus Christ to be made right before the Lord is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. And so he called out those false teachers, those Judaizers, those false teachers, and he said, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. You try to get you to try to earn your salvation. And so that's what we talked about last week. That our salvation is not something that we can earn. It's a free gift. How many of you like free gifts? How many like gifts? I love gifts. I love to receive gifts. Just like all of us do. Right? And I love to give gifts. But, but there's something that we can't even compare to. You can get the greatest gift at Christmas or on your birthday. You can get one of the, something you've been waiting for for many, many years and you can have it given to you. But that gift that's given to you pales in comparison to the gift of salvation that Christ gives to us because of our faith in him. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is simply on the foundation of faith because we place our faith in the finished work of the cross. And so the Apostle Paul, do you remember last week he went through those lists, that, that, that legalistic list to try to tell the Judaizers and say, hey, so you're saying that it's because of, of an adherence to the law that we're saved? And he goes through this list and says, hey, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am a keeper of the law. Uh, in, in accordance to keeping the law, he said, I'm blameless. And, but what did he say? He said, all of those things that, sh- that, that according to you, the Judaizers, would be for my benefit, he says, I say that it's all rubbish 
when it comes to being right before the Lord. He said, it is worth being flushed down the toilet. That's what it's worth. That's the language with which Paul used. And so now as we're going to segue here into this next section, as Paul continues to, to, to speak to us, as God continues to speak to us, he, he switches what he begins to talk about here. And he begins to talk about his pursuit of the Lord. He says, all of this self-righteousness, all of this pursuit that I gave my life to of self-righteousness, of trying to be the best Pharisee that I could be, trying to be the best Jew that I could be, all of that attempt, all of that pursuit, all of that pressing, all of that giving, all of my energy, he said, it was all for nothing to be right before the Lord. But he says that because of my faith, I have a righteousness that's not of my own. And he says, now I pursue and I press to know the Lord, to know the Lord. Isn't that the height of what Christianity is all about? Knowing Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, that I might know him. Do you have a longing in your heart to know the Lord? Do you have a desire in your life to know the Lord? You know, as I wrestled through this text... And, and, and begin to, to, to read what the Apostle Paul is saying here about his pursuit for the Lord. I just want you to know I have been under the conviction of the Holy Spirit for several days now. Still asked me how I was feeling about this message. And I said, I feel, I feel, oh man, I feel convicted. I feel the heaviness. So now it's time for me to give it to you. <laughs> it's time for me to say it is your turn now to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit as we talk about knowing Christ. And so the title of the message this morning is that I, that I may know him, that I may know him. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, Lord I ask that you'd help us, help, help me to communicate clearly. Help me to preach the word accurately with passion and compassion. And Lord, help us, Lord, to have a burning, passionate desire to know you. May we never ever live in a reality where that is not true of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to read the text in Philippians 3. And I want you to hear, he just, Paul just says, all of my pursuit of trying to earn righteousness by the law, it's for nothing. But then he says, now this is my pursuit now. Listen to what he says here, verse 10, starting in verse 10, chapter 3. He says, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So this is what I want to unpack for us here this morning in what Paul is saying here about his pursuit to know Christ, about his, his pressing on to know the Lord in comparison to pressing on to be self-righteous. This is what I want to unpack here. I have kind of three things that, that I believe we must do as believers in Jesus Christ that we, we, we must, that we must apply in our life. And the first one is this, according to what Paul just said there, we must press on to know him more. 
We must press on to know him more. Did you hear what he said there? He just, he just said that I am not counting on the, my own righteous, my own good works to be righteous before the Lord. And I'm laying aside all of that pursuit. And he said that because God's given me his own righteousness, I am starting this new pursuit. And he says it, and I love the way he says it, that I may know him. That I may know him. And he says this as he goes on. He says, that I may know him. Then he uses this phrase. He says, I press on. I press on. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And when he uses the phrase, I press on, that, that phrase, I press on, is an athletic term. And it's specifically a term that would be used to describe a, a track or, or running. So we got Jory, Jory Billiard here, and he is a runner, right? When you're running, do you press on, right? Whenever you feel like you're about to quit, I don't have that experience because I don't run. I don't have that experience of having to press on. We got the pumpkin dash coming up. Got a little plug here. When is that? Saturday. Saturday. This coming Saturday? This coming Saturday, we have the 5K pumpkin dash, and Jory can help you out to get signed up. Wave, wave your hand, Jory. He can help you out. And, and, and when you're going to run that 5K, if you're not a really good runner, you're going to get to the point where you have to press on, where you, where, you, where you can't give up, you can't stop. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, that I may know him. I want to know him. He says, Christ has laid a hold of me. He found me. And where did Christ find Paul? He found him when he was Saul. He found him whenever he was persecuting Christians. He found him when he wanted nothing to do with Christ, when he was trying to destroy Christianity, and he knocked him off of his horse, and he revealed himself to him. And so from that moment on, from that encounter with the Lord, the Apostle Paul says, from that moment on, I want to know him. I want to know him. It reminds me of Isaiah. When Isaiah the prophet saw the Lord high and lifted up, saw him in his glory, he was in awe of God. And he said, woe is me. I have unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people with unclean lips. And, and he signed up, Isaiah signed up to go for the Lord, to, 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 to make God famous. Said, I will go, I will go for you, Lord. And it's the same thing that happened to the Apostle Paul. He encountered the presence of the risen Christ and he was changed forever. Have you been changed forever? Have you been set on this journey of pursuing the Lord? This is the burden. This is the language that Paul is using here. He says, I want to know him that I may know him. And he says, if I'm going to know him more, I have to press on. I must press on to know him more. And do you know what that means? It means maximum effort. It means maximum effort. It means maximum pursuit. Now, do you see the contrast here? Paul, last week, we, we saw where he said, no amount of your maximum effort to please the Lord. No amount of your maximum obedience to the law is going to make you right before him. And then he says, but I, now that I am right before the Lord, I am going to pursue him with all of my heart because I want to know him more. I want to be in a deeper relationship with him more. I am going to give maximum effort. Do you see that? You see the contrast. So it's not that just because our, our pressing on to the Lord doesn't make us right before him doesn't mean that we're not to pursue him with all of our heart. Paul's already established that our efforts do not justify us before God. 
We established that last week. Paul was speaking here of a heart that is fully committed to knowing the Lord fully. Do we desire to know him? That's my question. This is what rested on my heart all week this week. Do we desire to know him? Do, ben, Ben, do you desire to know the Lord? Do I desire to know him? Do I long for the Lord? You remember when you met your future spouse for the first time? How many of you are married here and you remember when you met your future spouse for the first time? I'll never forget that moment, ever. I was told about her. My mom's right here. And she told me I wasn't going to the church that my future wife was going to at the time. I was trying to figure out where I was going to go. And my mom called me and said, Ben, there's a girl there. Her name is Estelle Foray. And I think that she might be someone worth checking out. That's what you said. Yeah. And so played matchmaker. And, and sure enough, I went that first Sunday specifically to see Estelle. That's why I went to that church that day. And you know what happened when I saw her? I was captivated. I was captivated. Like Isaiah 6. Like Paul on the road to Damascus. I was captivated. So what did I do? I began to pursue that I may know her. I wanted to know her. I wanted to know her. It took me six months to get up the guts to go and tell her that I wanted to know her. But I eventually did. Six months. took me six months. And I finally went up to her after a service one Sunday. And this is what I told her. First sentence out of my mouth. Me and her, I said, "Um, I've been watching you. <laughs> and that is not exaggeration for the sake of a joke. That is true. Estelle can attest. Estelle, attest. Wave your hand. Yeah. I've been watching you. It's not a great line, guys, that are single. I mean, it worked. Been married 16 years now. In December, we'll be 16 years. Um, God helps us all in our weaknesses. But I said, I've been watching you. But what, what I was trying to say was that, that I've been watching who you are. And you're a wonderful woman of God. And you love the Lord. And, and, and I want to get to know you. I think I even said that. I want to get to know you. Would, would you like that? Can I call you? And the only thing she said in that whole conversation was, I would like that. And um, I said, well, I already have your number. <laughs> I had already worked out to get her phone number. <laughs> And I called her. I didn't want to seem desperate, so I didn't call her that day. I waited 24 hours. I called her the next day. And we talked for two, three hours. But what did I begin this journey? What, 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 what was this beginning of this journey? It was I wanted to know her. I was pursuing her. I was wanting to know her thoughts. I was wanting to know her heart. I was wanting to know what she loved, what she liked, her interests. And I was captivated. It was a pursuit that, that nobody was going to get in my way because I was captivated. And I did crazy things. How many of you, when you were engaged, husbands to your wife, did you do crazy things? I did crazy things. Stayed up all hours of the night. I lived 45 minutes away from Homa, but I would drive like five days a week to come to Homa because I loved her and I was pursuing her and she had captivated my heart and I wanted to know her more. This is what Paul is saying here. Is the same type of pursuit 
that we must have for the Lord. We must pursue the Lord with all of our heart. We must press on to know him. We must press. And when you're talking about pressing on, you're talking about running and track. It's this idea of reaching. You're reaching, you're stretching, you see the finish line, you see the goal, and you're stretching, you're reaching with all that you have because you know it's right there. That's the effort. It's the maximum effort. It's the maximum reach. You ever, you ever seen some of the track runners? I've seen them before on YouTube. They get to the finish line. Some of them, they're just like right there, and they just dive over to beat the person they're next to. It's just that maximum effort because we're captivated, because my heart is captivated. Reminds me of, of Joshua in Exodus chapter 33. Listen to this, Exodus 33, 9 through 11. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses face to face as he would talk with a friend. Can you imagine that? And all the people saw all the people in their tents around the, the, the camp of Israel. They would, they would see, uh, all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped. Why? Because God was there. Because God was there. Each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And, he, and when he would depart to the camp, But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Why? Because he was captivated. What I want to know is, is, is what were the other ones that were in their tent, standing by their tent door? Like God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is in the tent speaking to Moses. I want to be like Joshua. God is here. He is my pursuit. I'm captivated by him. There is nothing in this life that gets my attention more than Christ. That I may know him. That I may know him. So because I want to know him, I press on. The apostle Paul was captivated by the one who had laid a hold of him on the road to Damascus. I was reading some commentaries and I read this by John Piper. Listen to this. The Christian life is not only believing a truth but finding a treasure. The Christian life is not only believing a truth. It's not just about a book of, of truths, though we believe this is a book of truths, but if, 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 if you don't see this as treasure, and it's just head knowledge, it's just knowledge to store in, in your brain for future use, you've missed the point. Christianity is not about just gaining truth. It's about gaining a treasure. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all maximum pursuit. He sells all that he has to buy that field, to buy that, because it was a great treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. It's a treasure. It's a treasure that I may know him, that I may know him. So I press on maximum effort. May we never have a cold, mundane relationship with the Lord. Our prayer should continually be that our heart would be undivided in our affection for Christ. You know, I love LSU, and I love what they did last night to the Florida Gators. Did you guys watch that scene there uh, during the commercial breaks or something? They had a, a roasted gator. Yeah, did y'all see that? Like, Wow. That was great. We roasted the Gators. We, 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 I mean, look, it should have been a three-touchdown win. 
If number seven would have just held on to the interception, right? I love them. And I love the New Orleans Saints and watching them play. And, and there's lots of things that I love in this life. I love to play golf. My golf game's been really on the uptick right now. Lately, I've been playing pretty good. I'm excited about the April golf tournament. I'm going to be there. I love golf. I love watching golf. I love all these things. I love chocolate. But my heart, our heart, my heart should be undivided in my affections. That Christ is to be supreme. My supreme love. My supreme affection. My supreme desire. Jesus is, the, is greater than the greatest experience. I looked at Estelle and I looked at Tiger Stadium. I looked on the TV screen and I said, oh, I would love to be there. It's 65 degrees and it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's low humidity and it's Tiger Stadium. I've been there in that type of moment. Oh, it would be so great. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying here, that I may know him. And because I want to know him more, because he has captivated me in, when I was in my sin, when I was lost and wanted nothing to do with him, he has captivated me. And so now I am on this lifelong journey of pressing on to know him. Jesus is the greater, is the greatest experience we could ever experience. He's the greatest pleasure, the greatest possession. He's greater. The joys we experience in this life will pale in comparison to the inexpressible joy of knowing Christ fully and being fully known by Christ. Psalm 42 says, as a deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. What's that imagery there? That's the imagery of a deer that's been running because you guys have been chasing it with your gun. Right? It's running for its life. It's panting. It got away from you. And it's looking for water. It's thirsty. It's desperate. It needs water. That's the picture of a hunger and a thirst for the Lord. I press on maximum effort. I must know him. Because he laid a hold of me. He captivated my heart. And, and the Christian life is the pursuit of knowing him more. Like a deer is thirsty for water. Psalm 34, 8 and 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek him lack no good thing. You know, this is the, this is the, the, the struggle in the Christian life. We think if we don't get to pursue those things that look good in the world, that we're going to lack good things. But you know what the psalmist David says? Those that seek the Lord, they lack no good thing. Uh, no tiger stadium, no nice house, no nice car, no lots of money, lots of possessions. If I have none of those things, if I seek the Lord with maximum effort and I pursue him with all of my heart, I will lack no good thing. Because it's an eternal perspective. And when I realize that all of the good things in the Tiger Stadium and the saints and the money and the possessions and all of that, that it is all going to deteriorate and go away one day. But it is what is eternal that lasts forever. Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary like Joshua. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. You know, as I was studying this, I asked myself, Ben, I said, Ben, you can't preach this today. That's what I struggle with all week, because I can't preach this today, because my affections are divided. I thought, Lord, I can't preach this. Lord, forgive me for divided affection. So I wanted to trouble you with the same thought. (laughs) Our affections are so divided in this life. It's so easy for our affections to be divided. But we must press on to know the Lord. Because he's laid a hold of us. Amen. Second thing I want to tell us is that we must refuse to believe we have arrived spiritually. And this is, this is where we get in trouble right here. This is where we stop running. This is when we stop pressing. Is that when we deceive ourselves in believing we've arrived spiritually. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. Back to the text, Philippians 3.13. He said earlier that I may know him. And he says, because I want to know him, I press on. I give maximum effort. Look what he says in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. This goal of knowing Christ, he says, I don't consider that I've made it my own, that I've made it, that I've arrived. But he says this, but one thing I do. You know, in the original translation, in the original language, I do is left off. I do is left off. So I'm going to read it as such. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing. One thing. It's a singularity of focus. It's a singularity. He says, I don't consider that I've made it or that I've arrived spiritually or that I'm where I need to be. But one thing. There's one thing. That has captivated my vision. There's one thing that keeps my eyes focused on what is true and right and pure. It's this one thing and it's Christ. One thing. One of the greatest dangers we can face in our Christian life is is apathy. It's complacency. And here's what it sounds like when we're apathetic or we're complacent. Sounds like this. I've, I've, I've been there. Talking about church. I've been there. Done that. I even got the t-shirt. They're going to give you one for the pumpkin patch. I got the t-shirt. I got the t-shirt too. I've been there. I've opened that door. I've played that song. I've, 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 I've ushered. I've, I've greeted. I've done anything you can do. I've been there. I've done that. I've experienced that. I've heard that. Ben, Pastor Ben, I've heard that message before. You've heard this at Living Word before. I've heard that. I've been to that group. Because we're telling you, get involved in a life group. Get involved in a D group. I've been there. I've done that. I've, I've served my time. I've been there. I've heard it all. Here's what I would say. This would be, I would want all of our declarations to be, is I want to finish well. I want to finish strong. I don't want to lose my fire or passion for the Lord. It is a daily decision we must make to not give in to our natural tendency towards apathy. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are, we can all become apathetic because we think we've experienced it. We've done it. I've heard all the sermons before. I've, I've, I've been here. I've served in all these capacities. And we lose that edge. We lose that sense of fire and passion. And especially as we get older, we think, well, that, the fire and the passion is really just for the younger people. And I just want to tell you, if you're older here today, I pray that your fire and your passion will, out, will outlive all of us. 
will, will be greater than any young person that's here. That is, that is the cause of the gospel. That is what Christ has done in us. That's what it should produce in our heart. Paul is saying here, I haven't arrived at perfection, but I have a singular focus that I'm not going to remain where I am right now. I don't think I've plateaued. I don't think I've reached the pinnacle. You ever heard the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? That's kind of what I think some of us begin to think. Look, I've been in church since I was in utero. My mom, I mean, I, I can't think of a time in my life where I've not been in church. I've sung all the songs. I, I mean, look, I, I, we, we, you think we have long services here. Now, you guys get a little antsy at 11.45 if I'm still talking. Look, I've been in church services three, four, five hours. I mean, growing up. Like, it, it was, and, and we would go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We'd, we'd have prayer meetings in the evening. We'd have, I mean, look, it was, it was, it was our life. I've, I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt, right? But there's more. There's more to know. We don't know all there is to know about who God is and, and his glory and his majesty and his power. He doesn't have all of my heart yet. There's more to know. There's more to pursue. There's more to run after. And we have to guard against apathy and complacency. It's called, I, I kind of called it cruise control Christianity. Cruise control Christianity. How many of you like to drive with your cruise control? Some of you in here know you, that you're not cruise control. You're like, uh, I want my foot to the pedal and I'm passing up everybody on the highway. That's, that's, that's you. Well, you know what? That's how we're to be. I mean, don't do that for real. But spiritually, that's how we're to be. We're not to be cruise control Christianity. We're letting everybody else pass us by. No. I want my foot on pedal to the metal, and I want to be full bore for the Lord. I press on. Not apathetic. We can't lose our edge spiritually. We must remain sharp and in the battle. You know, because it's a battle, right? It's a battle. Ephesians. When we studied through Ephesians uh, 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 last year, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We live in the evil day. This is the evil days, brothers and sisters. This is the evil day. And if we're going to withstand, we can't be apathetic. We can't be complacent. We have to press. We have to reach. We have to strive. We have to push forward in our pursuit to know him, that I may know him. I was looking at the thinking about the life of David, King David. You know, King David, King David was a mighty warrior. He lived for the battle. He lived to fight. Look at the life of King David. He led the nation of Israel. Look, 2 Samuel 5, 1 through 2. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. What is he saying there? That David led out. He led in battle. He led in leadership here of leading God's people. 2 Samuel 8. After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methegamah out of the hand of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to, put, to be put to death and one full line to be spared. David also defeated Hadad-Dezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Jobah. And he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses 
He's active. He's a fighter. Look, Second Samuel 10. And it was told, and when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Halam. The Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David killed of the Syrians the men of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen. And he wounded Shabak, the commander of their army, so that he died there. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadazir saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with all of Israel. David was a fighter, right? But then David lost his edge. David lost his edge for the battle. 2 Samuel 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings went out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. But David remained at Jerusalem. I believe the reason that that is in that text is because it is to show us that David had lost his edge. And he remained in Jerusalem. Instead of doing what he was called to do, to lead out the army in battle, he stayed back. He had lost his edge. He said, hey, I fought the fight. I've been fighting for years. I've won the battles. I've fought continually. I need a break. And I want to tell you, in this, in this evil day today, there, there, there are no breaks. There are no time to sit back and say, well, you know what, hey, I can, I can send somebody else to fight for me. That's what David did. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And, and one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of, of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messages and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Remaining home was not David's custom. His custom was to fight. And he lost his edge for the battle. And he lost his seriousness for the battle. And he remained home. And it's in that moment where the enemy comes and he strikes. And he brings temptations when we lose our edge. David had lost his edge. He sent someone else to do his fighting. Perhaps, perhaps David, perhaps David had, had read his own press clippings. Perhaps, perhaps David had thought he had won all the battles that he needed to win. Do you remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 18 when David had killed and won battles? And, and you had David and Saul there. Listen to this. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the, woman, and the women sang to one another. And as they celebrated, Saul had struck down his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. Maybe David carried that. And as he was winning battle after battle, he had believed his own press clippings and his own greatness. And he lost his edge. No matter how long we've been in the fight. No matter how long we've been serving Christ. No matter how many victories we've won. What do we do? We press on. Why? To know him. That I may know him. We press on. We don't become apathetic or complacent. Paul said, look, I, I would have been the person that someone would have said, I've arrived spiritually. I've done it all. I've done everything that the law has demanded. But he said, all that is rubbish to me. And I have one singular goal, and that is to press on to know him. That I may know him. There is more to see of the beauty of Christ. There are more battles to fight, brothers and sisters. There's more battles to fight. There's more victories to win. 
more people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where's Terry Este? Right there. I love you, Terry Este. This is not in my notes. I'm just going to say what's on my heart. Terry Este is at the front door. While I was reading out there, she was talking about people she's witnessing to. And she's just bawling her eyes out. Because she is overcome with compassion for the lost. And she's going to go get Bibles. She gets Bibles and she engraves people's names on them that she wants to witness to. And she brings that Bible up here so I can pray over that Bible. I, you know, I always tell her I'm not praying over the Bible. The Bible needs no prayer. The Bible is powerful by itself. It doesn't need my prayer. But we're going to pray for those people. And she, that, that's what I want. I want the passion that Terry has. There's more battles to fight. There's more people that must hear the truth of the gospel. We can't lose our edge spiritually. More people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. More people who need to be discipled. Apostle Paul is saying here in verse 13, I don't consider myself as having arrived spiritually. So I have one singular focus. And what is that? I press on. Say it with me. I press on. We must, we must press on to know him. And we must pursue him with all of our heart. We cannot, we cannot become apathetic. We must not become apathetic in our walk with the Lord. And lastly, this is the third thing I would encourage us with, is that we must not look back. We must not look back. That's what the text says here, right here. So the Apostle Paul says, look, I don't consider that I've arrived or that I've made it. I don't, I, don't, I don't park the car now. I don't put the horses in the barn now. But I'm pressing on. I'm pursuing with all of my heart. Because there's more work to be done. More people need to know about Christ. But what does he say here next? Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. We must not look back. What is, he, what, what, what is he saying here about not looking back that helps us to press on? You ever, you ever been in a race? Have you ever played football? And you're racing down the football field and you got a football, or you've seen people do it. Uh, that's what I do because I don't play football, but I, gotta, I watch people and they're running with the football. And you ever see them look over their shoulder? What happens when they look over their shoulder? They lose their speed. They lose their edge. They're looking back. They're looking back, seeing who's there, what's going on back there. But what's the goal? The goal is there. The goal is the, it's the goal line. It's the finish line. That's where they, 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 got, they got to get the ball across the plane of the goal line. But if they're looking back, they're slowing down. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, that if we're going to press on, we cannot look back. We cannot look back forgetting what lies behind. When you're in a race, when you're running with the football, if you look back, it slows your pace. If you look back, your stride slows down. If you look back, you have opportunity for fear. We must keep our eyes on the prize. We don't look back. Jesus said this. He said this in Luke 9. This is the cost of following Christ. He says, Luke 9, 61 through 62, he says, Yet another said, I'll, I'll follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those of my, at, at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back and looks back is fit for the kingdom. When we put our hands to the plow, when we join the race as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't look back. 
We don't put our hand to the plow. We don't get into the family of God, into the work of the kingdom, and then look back, turn back. Jesus said, no, this is the cost of follow, follow me. There's no looking back. There's no looking back to past successes or to past failures or mistakes. We don't look back. We move forward. You can't move forward looking in the rearview mirror. Have you ever tried to do that? Drive looking in the rearview mirror? I've tried to do that. It doesn't work very well. You can't move forward looking in the rearview mirror. Now, now, now here's what I'll tell you. There's some things we need to remember. And there's some things we need to forget. So here's how I would phrase it here. Forget anything that hinders faith and obedience. Forget anything that hinders faith and obedience. Pursuit of the Lord with all your heart. Forget anything that will hinder faith and obedience. And remember anything that serves faith and obedience in your life. Our successes and our failures can both be reasons to look back. And the enemy uses both to tempt us to get out of the race. This is, this is what he does. We have success. We have victories. We've, we've, we've arrived in our life spiritually. And the devil says, he whispers in the ear and says, oh, you can take a step back. This is kind of my second point here. You can take a step back. It's not your time anymore. It's time to let someone else join in the race here. Because we've had successes. We've been there. We've done that. We've, we've succeeded. We've won victories in the Lord. And the enemy comes and he whispers and says, take a step back. Put it in cruise control. And then the enemy whispers to us in, in our failures, in our struggles, in our difficulty, in our pain. He whispers to us and says, you'll never get through it. Because of that mistake, you can never finish the race. Because of that failure, because of that problem, because of that situation, you're never going to be able to do what God's called you to do. And what do you do when, when we're at that low point? We, we stop running. We stop, we lose our edge. So he gets us on both sides, our successes and our failures. But we have to forget what lies behind, whether it's good or whether it's bad. No matter what it is, we forget what lies behind and we have that singular focus to press towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to specifically speak to those that are, that are dealing with failure in their life that have blown it. You know, our, our, our failures are not reasons to give up. Your failures and your mistakes are not reasons to quit the Christian life. When you, when you sin and you blow it, it's not a reason to say, I'm just giving up. When you sin and make a mistake, it's an opportunity for you to pursue Christ with all of your heart and say, Lord, yeah, I've messed up, but I'm going to pursue you. I'm going after you. Who in here has ever played basketball? You ever played basketball? I got a basketball right here. I was going to put it on the table there, but I was afraid it would roll off. So when you play basketball, if you have the ball, and the goal is what? If you have the ball, what's the goal? The upward, no pun intended, but the upward call, right? It's 10 feet up. And the goal, the upward call is to get this ball into that basket. So what, 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 what happens when you have the ball? Well, you're going to have a defender that's going to, is going to come up against you, right? They're not just going to let you go from, from, from the top of the key to the, to the backboard and lay it up and get it in the goal. Somebody's going to come and he's going to try to stop you. And that's, that's our life, right? Our goal is to know Christ, to make him known, to be effective for him. But he's, he's not going to just leave us alone. Somebody's going to come and get in our way. The enemy's going to use many different things to try to get in our way. And so, so that's, that's the defense, right? But then sometimes, if it's not the defense, it's, it's us. Sometimes our hand-eye coordination is not right. 
Sometimes we shoot the shot and we shot it too hard or we didn't shoot it hard enough. We've made the mistake. It's the defense or it's us. We've blown it. No matter what it is, no matter what, who it is, if it's a defense, if it's us, whatever it is, you know what's beautiful about basketball? Is that when that shot goes up and if it doesn't go in and we don't reach that mark or that goal that we're going for, what, what happens when that ball bounces off the rim or bounces off the backboard? What, what happens at that point? What do you got to do? You got to go for the rebound. A rebound is, is what? It's a second chance. And what do the coaches yell at the players all the time? They yell at the players, follow your shot. Follow your shot. But what happens in our life when we are off mark, when the defender has messed us up and, and, and we can't make it, right? We miss it because of them. What do we do? We, we hang our head when we make our mistake. We go and try to run in the corner. No, follow your shot. Just because you miss, there's an opportunity for a rebound. And that is the Christian life. There's always going to be an opportunity for a second chance. Our failures are not reasons to quit. Your mistakes in your life are not reason to quit pursuing to know the Lord. No matter what it is. Maybe it is your fault, the shooter's fault. Maybe it's the defense or maybe somebody fouled you. That's the third one I couldn't think of because I left my notes. Maybe they fouled you. Maybe somebody's hurt you. They fouled you and that's why you missed. Follow your shot. Go after the rebound. Don't quit pursuing. Don't allow what somebody's done to you. Don't allow, don't allow your mistakes to stop you from maximum effort, maximum pursuit. A rebound is a second chance. You must have a short memory. You ever heard that in sports? You have a short memory. Same is true in our lives. We can't quit because of what's behind us, because of our past. We can't shrink back that I may know him that I may know him. I press on. We can't shrink back. I want you to stand to your feet with me. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. I want to read this as, as we close. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard suffering, hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And here's what I would want us to say of ourselves. But we are not of those who shrink back. We're not of those who shrink back. The successes don't cause us to shrink back. The failures don't cause us to shrink back. The struggles, the pain, the difficulties don't cause us to shrink back. We have a singular focus and it drives our life that I may know him. That I may know him. Pursue after him. We don't shrink back. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith 
and preserve their souls. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for those here this morning that are struggling in their relationship with the Lord this morning. Maybe you, maybe you do feel like, whether it's your successes or your fa- failures, I tend to think that there's probably more of us here this morning because of our failures, because of our struggles and our difficulties that we've, we've, we've pulled back. You're here today, but you feel like I'm just not where I used to be. I'm just not where I, I've lost my edge. I used to weep in his presence. I used to hear worship songs. It used to touch my heart. I used to love to get into God's word, but now I've lost my edge. And and this message is really reminding me that I need to join back in this pursuit, this lifelong pursuit of knowing him and pressing on with all that I have. So I want you to close your eyes. I want nobody looking around. Just, just, Just between you and the Lord. If you are here this morning and that's you, that's you and you just you just want to acknowledge just physically just with the lifting of your hand you want to acknowledge between you and the lord that that's you i've lost my edge i've been shrinking back that's you just lift your hand is there, is there anybody yep it's a lot of us the lord was convicting my heart this week so i just want to pray for us i want to pray for you i want to pray for us we wouldn't lose our edge that we would live as the Apostle Paul said, that I may know him and I pursue him with all of my heart so we press on. That's how we want to live. So won't you just, let's just all lift our hands before the Lord this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for divided affections. Forgive us, Lord, for our affections going here, there, and everywhere and losing our singular focus. Lord, may we have undivided affection for you that you're number one you're number one everything else is second lord i pray for those of us here this morning that we've lost our edge we're not pursuing you like we used to we've forgotten what we need to remember and we're remembering what we need to forget i pray god that we would lay aside all the weights and the hindrances that are keeping us from pursuing you with all of our heart, from pressing, from reaching, from stretching, from pursuing you. I pray that we would let them go, that we'd lay them down at the foot of the cross and we wouldn't look back, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I pray that it'd be true of us. And Lord, for those of us here today who feel like it's not us, Lord, I know that it will be us later. We will be tempted later to shrink back God, and may we always be a church that's pressing on to know you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. If, if you need prayer about anything, if you need prayer about anything, I'll be in, in that prayer room right over there down the hallway. I love you.